This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IV Press and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemini. And I'm Michelle. This table is built by black women and for black women. So welcome to the table, Michelle. How you doing, girl? Hey, sister. <laughs> What's up? I'm feeling girl. all right. Feeling all right? Oh, yeah. You ain't going to give the people a well? Can I get a well? Lord. I mean, it has been that long. And I have forgotten <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> it's actually been, wow, wow. There so you yes, go. The there well you go. has it's returned. A, it's, a, it's a, the well is back from the well, okay? <laughs> from <laughs> the well. From the, the well, we're in a deep well. <laughs> it was a well exactly. of well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and it will just it will just continue to um you know get better from from this point. Yeah, um, truly, so truly. y'all, if you notice, obviously it's me and Michelle at the table. So you know what this means, because Christina's not here, y'all. Mm-hmm. This means that we have a black girl magic episode. Yay. Cue the charms. So uh I am so excited. For the sister at the table today, y'all, this is our first Black Girl Magic interview of the season. And we were like, let's start it off with a bang. Let us, please help us welcome Christy Lauren Adams. She is at the table with Hi. us. Hey, Christy. Hey. <laughs> welcome. Well, thank you. Real quick, did you see uh, In Living Color back in the day? They, oh, had, a, they, had, a, they had a skit called Go On Girl. And it was, you remember, I don't know if you remember, and it was a show by four and about women. And I oh loved it. So when you were just talking just now, I was like, this reminds me of Go On Girl. I'm going to send you a link. Um, when Please. You to oh, my it. gosh. It was, I love it. it. Please do. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm so glad we can bring those in loving cover and in living color. Go on, girl vibes. That's <laughs> right. an honor. Like legit. Because in Love and Color is yeah. so black. Yeah. That's a next level compliment <laughs> right there. That was next level. Was next great. level is so black. So y'all, before, because you see we already, we already cutting up. Um, before we get all the way up in it, let me tell y'all about Christy Lauren Adams, okay? Because uh, this sister ain't playing around with us, okay? Christy Lauren Adams is a speaker, author, youth advocate, and ordained Baptist minister. Christy is the author of Parable of the Brown Girl, which is published by Fortress Press and and just released in February. Hello, Black History Month. Mm -hmm. Um, The book highlights the cultural and spiritual truths that emerge from the lives of young Black girls. She is currently the Firestone Endowment Chaplain and an instructor of religious studies and philosophy at the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Christy also works as co-director of diversity and inclusion at the Hill School. She is the founder and director of the Becoming Conference an annual conference designed to empower, educate, and inspire girls between the ages of 13 to 18. Christy is a graduate of Temple University with a degree in advertising and a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, where she obtained a master's divinity degree. She also currently serves as an associate minister at First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens and sits on the advisory board for World Made Flesh. Uh, I'm sorry, Word Made Flesh, a nonprofit organization existing to serve among the most vulnerable of the world's poor. Put those blessed hands together for Christy Lauren Adams. I'm about to be in my churchy bag. <laughs> Go with it. <laughs> Welcome to the table, sis. Well, thank you. It's an honor, really. Thank you for having me. First of all, it is always wonderful to sit at the table with a minister, 
especially yeah. one who is all about studying and, and realizing the mm-hmm. theological um, harmonies in their lives. And I'm mm-hmm. really interested to know because um, here you are now coming to us like you're an author, you're mentoring. Yeah. How is your faith journey? Really, what were the seeds of mm-hmm. your faith journey that led you from first exploring faith into really being a practitioner of theology, this sort of praxis out there in the world. Yeah. So if you could give us your faith bio, that I think our listeners would really dig that. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I always um, I always say I'm a product of the Black church. I grew up mm-hmm. in the church. Um, yeah. And I think uh, there was a time where, I don't want to say I was ashamed to say that, but people mm-hmm. would say, oh, well, of course you have this particular faith background because you grew up in it, you know? Um, so I would always diminish that. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how important it is to, um, to, to my story, right? And how much of a blessing it was that um, God would allow me to be mm-hmm. born into a family that, that saw fit to um, have like my spirituality um, be just as essential as my education, you know? Mm. Um, and so for us, you know, it, it was a no brainer. You know, my parents were, my dad was a deacon in the church and my mom's a deaconess, grew up in Brooklyn the first uh, few years of my life until the second grade. And then we moved to New Jersey and immediately we're looking for a church home. You know, it was like, that was what you did, you know? Right. And, um, and we weren't just a part of any church. It wasn't like we were part of these churches where you just go and have, you know, excellent praise and worship and a good word and you go home. You know, it was really important to my family to be a part of a church that was central to the community. You know, that was um, not just doing things on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday. You know, that was really invested in like the the development of young people and economic empowerment, you know, of, of the community and making sure they're reaching out to people um, who are, you know, less fortunate, et cetera. So I grew up a part of that. And, um, and so, you know, as, as a result, it, it stuck with me. And I always say I'm a product of the people that poured into me. And so it wasn't just my pastor, but our, you know, the first woman um, pastor that I had was our executive pastor in the 80s, you know, um, went in a time where women pastors weren't oh, like a thing, oh, you know. Right, um, right. But I always say, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't really grow up around all that, I didn't understand mm-hmm. that we had women that were ministers in my church mm-hmm. and it, it was normal. Um, but then also, you know, I had uh, a woman who was our, uh, like our youth, the intern, the youth, past- youth pastoral intern um, to this day who really had an imprint on me. And so mm-hmm. I would say in the beginning um, of my faith journey, it started with the people that were around me pouring into me, you know, um, and not just, you know, obviously the messages on Sunday, I don't think I really got them, but Sunday school <laughs> being a part of that. And, um, but honestly, it really wasn't until a friend of mine, uh, that I played ball, I played basketball a lot growing up. And so a friend of mine that I played ball with, um, got killed when I was about 16, her dad mm-hmm. shot her, um, oh and goodness. then he killed himself and oh then, goodness. and killed her mother. And mm. so that was like, a, that was like my first, you know, um, sort of face to face, you know, with, with death, with the fact that there's, th- there's something beyond this, you know, um, and really mm. having to confront my own faith, mainly because my last conversation, her name was Norelle. My last conversation with Norelle was asking her why she wasn't, I didn't see her in church that much anymore. Cause she used to come to my church too. Um, oh, after wow. basketball practice. Me and she said, um, you know, I don't really do the God thing anymore. And mm. I said to her, oh, it's cool. You know, you do, you do you. Mm. And then maybe not even a week later, you know, I get a, I get a phone call that she got killed. And so for me as a 16 year old, mm. having to replay that conversation and going to a triple funeral, cause it was a triple funeral, um, where, you know, seeing all three and her being buried in her basketball jersey and, just going through like a, a crisis of faith where I had to now take ownership over my own faith. Right. It was like, okay, why do I believe what I believe? <laughs> why am I going yeah. through this? There's going to come a point where I'm going to be an adult and, you know, they're not going to be driving me to church anymore. So I, I always say that my faith journey started there. Um, and then wow. as I, after I graduated and when I got into college, um, you know, you do your same, you do the stuff college students do, you know, in the beginning, freshman year, you wild out, you don't have to go to church, right. you don't have to wake up, you know, on the weekend. Um, 
but you know, as, as time went on, I said, you know, if I'm going to continue with this, I need, I, I, I need to take it seriously. Um, and not only that, um, but if I was going to continue with it, I, I felt like a, a need to commit to, uh, other people around me, young people, my peers, et cetera, in the same mm. way that I was poured into growing up. Mm. Um, so I felt like paying it forward was what you did, you know? Yes, yes. Um, so a lot of what I did in college was, whether it was, I, was, I remember I was a GED teacher really, you know, briefly. I taught Big Brothers. Uh, I mean, I, I worked at Big Brothers Big Sisters for a little while. You know, those were things that were an extension of my faith because that's how it was growing up, you know, mm. what the church was you did other things, you know, mm. um, you were connected socially, et cetera. That was an mm. extension of your faith. So mm-hmm. for me, that was definitely a part of it. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I had a road to Damascus, you know, you know, G- Jesus came out of it, you know, nowhere and woke me up in the middle of the <laughs> night, you know, type of thing. It really was, you know, I'm grateful because God had patience with me to, I think, allow me to come to it on my own. Mm. Um, and not just, you know, my own, faith in Christ, but really my calling to, I just, I've had a lot of time and grace to be able to fail, to be able to figure things out. Um, and those, those are the, you know, days like today, like with the Kobe, uh, tribute and yeah, yeah. You know, those are reminders that, wow, I've had a lot of time, <laughs> you know, mm, like, right. I've, you know, every birthday now is different, but you know, like people would say, you know, you're getting older and it's just like, oh, thank God. Right. Cause you're like, right. I had a, I had a very close friend who I talk about often, which I'll talk about later, you know, who, mm. who passed away a week after my, um, I signed my contract for the book. And so, and he was 37. Um, oh, and to, to think about young people and people in general who, um, it, it, there is no, you know, oh, this person's old and so they pass away anymore. It don't even matter, <laughs> you know? It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it, it doesn't even matter. And so I see every every day and I look back on my life as just, I've been given a lot of grace Amen. and a lot of second and third and fourth chances. And I think I have a responsibility with those chances now. And so that's what drives me. Wow. Now, I mean, what a testimony, Christy. I mean, I, you know, so many things popped in my mind as I was listening to your testimony. Um, So many things, just even just about the way, you know, God showed up in your life, you know, um, through these very traumatic, I mean, traumatic um, uh, uh, losses and incidences. And and then just to even your own approach to the faith, you know, the the quotes that came to mind, old school quotes, which I'm sure you'll know, uh, each one teach one, right? Mm -hmm. And and more is caught than taught, you know? Um, (laughs) And it just seemed like uh, in some ways that you were molded in this way, you know, you know, know, train up a child, you know, the way they will go. And of course they won't depart, right? Mm. I believe, you know, we're covenant children, right? Because you were were raised in the pew. Mm -hmm. Praise God for that. That's not, that's not the norm anymore right right but but it just seemed like you you really caught like the faith like you know um by god's grace of course yeah um but i thought so i thought that was interesting in just your own approach you know to the faith and in the spirit of uh each one teaching one um Mm -hmm. and and more is caught than taught um it just make, it reminds me of your book, Parable of the Brown Girl, The Sacred Lives of Girls of Color. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder uh, why now, uh, you, know, t- you know, scripture talks about for such a time as this, why the parable of the brown girl? Why now? Why did you think it was important to center um, brown girls? Why brown girl instead of black girl? Yeah. Can you talk about all of those things? Yeah. I, you know, I wish I had like a, you know, <laughs> I realized that this was the moment, you know, no, someone emailed me and said, Hey, we'd love for you to write a book. (laughs) You know, so that was how it started. I wish I had another, again, like some elaborate story. Um, But what's interesting, and I have the date sort of etched in my head um, of, it was early January, 2018, that someone from a particular publishing company reached Mm -hmm. out and asked me if I was working on any projects or proposals. And I said, no, you know, I, I don't, I don't have anything to say, you know. Um, and then she said, well, let's Skype about it and, you know, brainstorm. And so we did a few months later. And um, I remember I always say my pastor, you know, used to say to me, you write about what you know. And um, my response to him used to always be like, well, I don't know nothing, you know, <laughs> um, not enough to put in 45,000 words or whatever. Um, and so, but it's, it has stuck with me, that phrase. And, um, and at the time, 
I had just started the Becoming Conference, which I'll talk about later. Um, mm-hmm. And I was in between jobs, sort of. And so I was working part-time at my church in Jersey and part-time as a pastoral counselor at a, a counseling center that that wasn't far um, and, uh, I was counseling like mostly teenage girls and the becoming conference actually came out of that because I was saying to my supervisor, look, I can't counsel everybody that's a kid. Like we got to get them all in one room, you know? <laughs> um, and so that was really where that started. Uh, but it was becoming conference. It was counseling and everything was black girls, black girls. And even though black girls have been a significant part of my, my journey, no matter where I've found myself working at the time, it was like everything. Like it was like majority of what I was, was doing and working um, with this particular demographic. And so when I thought about you write about what, you know, I said to the the publisher, I said, oh, well, I know black girls. I know how to be a black woman. I know black girls. You know, I'm mm. not an ex- expert expert, but, you know, th- this is who I am, essentially. And at the time when I was counseling some of the girls, you know, we were just like, you're just one on one, you know, in some random right. room in the corner of Jersey. And they would be ministering to my soul, you know, just the way that they came up with their own wisdom based off of whatever circumstances they were navigating or um, just the conversations we had would just leave me so full. And I remember driving home one day thinking to myself, man, nobody's going to get an opportunity to hear what this girl just had to say. And I feel so full. Like, I feel like the world needs to hear them. And I remember saying, if I ever got a real platform um, to center the girls, then uh, I would use it. I thought it was just the becoming conference, you know. Um, but then later on, uh, this this happened, and so I, I wound up, you know, a few months later pitching uh, the the parable, the brown girl, because I I would think to myself, and remind me to go back to why it's brown girl. But I would think to myself, um, you know, what if these girls were in the gospel stories? you know, whenever I was counseling the girls, not when I was writing. And I was, I'd be like, what if Jesus met one of these girls? You know, mm. um, what, what would it be called? What would the title be? Um, if I was just flipping through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And, uh, so parable of Brown girl had always had really been in my head. So I pitched it and then she came back to me. This was like, that was January that we had first, first connected. This was July. So, so like a few months later, middle of the year. And, you know, the email was like, I wish I had better news for you. Our team decided not to acquire Parable, the brown girl, you know. Um, and she said, you know, we're really impressed with your writing and your growing platform. But, you know, basically thought that the they thought that the audience or the demographic was too narrow. Right. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, they the, the questions were, you know, what would make a broad swath of readers want to pick up the book? You know, what would give it the widest appeal? You know, and I'm like, what yeah. are you all girls mattering me? You know, <laughs> uh, when I specifically am saying black girls matter. Um, and at first I just read it and was like, okay, you know, okay, maybe I'll, cause she wanted me to repitch it and to say, you know, put black girls in the book, but also put other girls in the book too. So I'm like, here we are once again, where black girls are having to share the stage, share the platform, you know, having to move over and make room when I'm saying there, I need to put them at the center. So I decided not to resubmit it there. And I submitted it to, um, fortress in one other place because I was like, oh, well, I have a proposal now. And uh, so may as well do something with it. And I was angry at that point because I was like, you know, before I wasn't mad, then I got mad <laughs> because I'm like, you're proving my point, you know? Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, so then fortress responded back in the other place. They both responded favorably, but I went with fortress. But um, but it's, it's an interesting story because the woman, Valerie, who originally contacted me about the book, she DM'd me um, right around the time we started marketing for Parable, the brown girl, and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm at Fortress now. And, uh, you know, I've been seeing all the marketing and everything. I just want to let you know I'm proud of you. You know, we've come full circle. And so I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I love that I can tell this story. And now you're, you know, on the right team. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so that is yeah. really how the book came about. But the brown girl part of it wasn't even really, mm-hmm. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into that. It was a when I asked that question to myself, what would it be called? 
Um, and I've seen, you know, you've seen some of those titles in the gospel of one with the issue of blood or, you know, whatever the, the title of the particular mm-hmm. section might be. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just thought someone would look at these girls and see shades of brown and not necessarily be able to identify them culturally, um, but probably like aesthetically sort of look at them and see brown. So it was really more of like a illustrative choice. I was totally OK with Parable of the Black Girl. Um, and told them that I I can go either way. Um, you know, so I'm not afraid to say black. I told them that, but I did need to make it clear Mm -hmm. in the, in the first pages that I'm talking about that when I refer to the girls in the book, I'm referring to them as black girls. Um, and so I had said aesthetically they're, they're, um, brown shades of brown, but, um, culturally, they're black, and I'm grateful that Beyonce's brown skin girls came out because I was like, "See what I mean? This is what I was talking about. That's what I told yeah. them when I said it." So it ties it. in beautifully. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, you know, it worked out perfectly because I was like, "Yeah," I, literally as I was reading your book, I was thinking, "I was like, oh, brown skin girl." Like I just <laughs> I made the correlation as I was reading your book and everything. Um, and you know, in your book, it is very like I would say for your audience for the teens, like I'm sure they're going to really be able to relate to it. I feel like they're going to, um, in some ways, be you know, be uh, challenged, mm-hmm. you know, by it to know that oh my goodness, like I haven't experienced this, but this is what some of my peers are experiencing, mm-hmm. you know, maybe say with maybe with abuse, right? Right. Um, I mean, you talk, you you cover a broad swath of of, of issues that uh, these young women that you have encountered have actually experienced. Right. Um, I mean, you have you talk about the weak brown girl, insecure brown girl, voiceless brown girl, mm-hmm. fast right brown mm-hmm. girl, which is about the adultification, right? Mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. black girls, alienated black girls, angry brown girl. Uh, white acting brown girl so you cover the scope I mean you go through you talked about the Jezebel stereotypes uh, mm-hmm. sapphire I mean you're giving them a little bit of some feminism black feminism mm-hmm. um, some womanism is in there just about obviously there's theology in there, yeah. scriptures in there they're getting like a crash course right mm-hmm. on their own experience and maybe even the experiences of some other black girls that they don't they, they may not have the same local, social location right, right. Um, as and so I was actually very struck by, you covered a lot, but mm-hmm. I was struck actually by the alienated brown girl. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, and as, as is my custom, I mm-hmm. read an excerpt from your book. Okay. <laughs> and I was struck by this because I actually didn't know, um, from the title, I didn't know what you were going to uh, uh, tackle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you started to talk about uh, I, what I call the diaspora, or what we call mm-hmm. the diaspora wars, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension <laughs> between Africans and African-Americans. And I was like, oh, wow, she's going there. Like, this is very interesting. So I thought I would um, read a little excerpt and just mm-hmm. have you talk about, like, why did you include this? And, uh, yeah, and just kind of w- what made you um, go there in this book. Uh, I am on page 99 in okay. Chapter 5, Parable of the Alienated Brown, Brown Girl. Okay. And so I just have already given, like, a... Uh, uh, history of kind of like uh, of the tensions right and so mm-hmm. this this paragraph starts off this way this sums up a cultural historical perspective of the tensions between africans and african americans tensions arise due to misconceptions about one another despite us all coming from the same family line mm-hmm. our african identity connects us to our origins our ancestry and our entire global community malcolm x's argument that black people hating their African origins and brothers and sisters is, uh, is the equivalent to hating themselves heart. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, is the equivalent to hating themselves. It harkens to when Moses watched, per- watched perplexed as the human, as the Hebrew men fought one another. <laughs> we are striking our own companions when we hold negative misconceptions about one another. We must discover how to bring African and African-American girls into one common identity and get them to see one another as family. End quote. Um, and so my little Pan-African heart joy <laughs> <laughs> when I read this. And I was curious about what, um, you know, what caused you to include this in the book? Why did you think it was important to highlight um, even the diversity within Blackness? Yeah. I work at a boarding school. Not sure if you knew that. Um, so I work and live at a boarding school. And it's mm. a, it's a, a, presti- a prestigious boarding school. I'm, I'm sure they're uh, for the most part, a, a lot of them are, but I, I just got here. Uh, this is my second year. 
we're here 24 hours a day. So it's the equivalent of four years. <laughs> I yeah. always say that because you just, you live and work here from the headmaster on down, you live and work here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there aren't like work hours, you know, or like ends. Um, there's like duty nights, et cetera. So I'm just sort of giving you some context of um, the environment and what the black girl specifically population looks like in spaces like right. this, I, I've realized. There are a number of first-generation African girls, um, mm. probably more than African-American girls, um, oh, wow. in spaces like this. I'm just realizing, because I'm just learning the context, I came from higher ed and, of course, from the church. Um, so I had never been in these types of environments. But when I've traveled to different boarding schools um, for sports or whatever it might be, uh, or trainings, I've I've seen the the demographic and the population, and there are there are a lot of first generation African girls. Mm. So I had an opportunity last year to really be immersed in in that. Um, a lot a lot of the girls specifically here are from uh, in New York, you know, certain parts of Jersey, Philly, um, and a good number of them are part of are part of programs. Um, where they were trained like in the seventh and eighth and ninth grade for, you know, this type of setting there, they may be here on scholarship, or partial scholarship, or whatever it might be. But what I realized that, you know, in talking to them, a lot of their uh, parents, whether they're from single parent homes or not, um, you know, they, they came here specifically for this particular education, right. Uh, mm-hmm. To give, to give their kids, you know, just an opportunity to have a great education. They know about the boarding school system and the ins and outs, how to get in, you know, um, and not pay the $64,000 or how much, it, however much it costs, um, depending on the school. They've worked with their, their daughters or their sons, but mainly the daughters that I've been working with on, um, you know, like you're, you're not going to public school, you're coming here. Okay. So, um, I've been able to see the interactions between those girls and some of the, the diaspora girls that are, that might identify as African American and see that tension um, not, there's not too, there's not too much. Um, but, but then also to talk to some of the girls that are first generation African who say, I'm not really African American, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't do Thanksgiving the way y'all do Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's like assume that I do Thanksgiving the way y'all just because you see me and you see black, you know, right. or the one girl, I think she, um, may have I've interviewed a girl and I may have put this in the book was, um, talk to me about her brother, you know, and how, um, the two of them, you know, they're, they're being reminded by their parents that, you know, you're, you're not one of those black girls or you're not one of those black boys, you know, that you need to make sure that you, um, you know, not, not separate yourself, but that you, uh, that you stand out differently. But then, Mm. you know, but then when he got pulled over by the cops, they didn't see him as, (laughs) you know, standing out differently, right? right? What does that mean when you're trying to navigate that, all these different identities when you're here and they just see you as black and they treat you as black, right? No matter how much you you try to separate. Um, but then at the same time, how do you, um, you know, like live within this, this, this culture and still be connected to your own culture? A lot of these girls had never even been back to Nigeria. You know what I mean? Right. Um, or, you know, since they were three or whatever it might be. Um, and so they, they, they speak, they might speak another language, they might understand the culture, but have never been back to the country. And so feel like, you know, they, they feel the disconnect there, right? Being, they might be, you know, called white from their mother's friends or, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, you're too Americanized. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I felt for these girls um, and paid attention a little bit more last year where I was like, wow, how, what must that feel like to have to navigate that all of these different identities on top of the things that we have to deal with as black, black girls and black women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a different level of empathy and then, you know, was also just disappointed in myself um, and maybe my younger self, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not, paying attention, not being educated or, uh, not, you know, or maybe feeding into the tensions, you know? Um, I mean, there's nothing I could do about it now. Right. Cause I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. but, but really mm-hmm. to move ahead and then help, 
these girls as well. You know, like you're not any different. We're, we are all a part, we're from the same place. And there's, this is a result of 1619 (laughs) and, um, and the the beginnings of that. And this is just another example of the disconnect and the discord, not only in 1619 where we brought here and uh, separated from our people there, then separated from one another here, not allowed to marry, given different last names, you know what I mean? Family members killed, separated, auctioned, sold, that this is just another casualty of that. And we should not allow for that anymore. Hey, y'all. In these times where we are all cooped up in our house under quarantine, many people are purchasing books or just reading books that they've had on their shelves. And so we want to share with you all this brand new book by author Jasmine Holmes. She is a black millennial mom living in Jackson, Mississippi with her husband, Philip, and her two young sons. The book that she's written is Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. And in this collection of powerful letters to her young son, Jasmine Holmes shares about her journey as an African-American Christian and what she wants her son to know as he grows and approaches the world as a Black man. As you all know, this is a very broken world. Um, We deal with many adversities, particularly as Black women. And so Jasmine Holmes is um, letting us in to her own life and into her own personal narrative as she speaks to her, her son, whom she loves dearly, about the challenges he'll face and who he is in Christ. So make sure you pick up Mother to Son and to learn more and get bonus content, you can visit mothertosonbook.com. And of course, we never leave y'all without a little discount now. So our Truth Table listeners can save 40% on Mother to Son when you order at ivypress.com using the promo code TRUTH20. This offer expires September 30th. That's the promo code TRUTH20 at ivypress.com to get 40% off of Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. Buy the book and get your deal, y'all. And the way that you were looking at like this self, like when you were younger, you know, this Mm. disappointment being expressed and in some ways there's this redemption path for one thing, right? You know, in education directly connecting Mm -hmm. to young people now. I wonder if... um, if this book sort of was not just for you, um, but if it was by that 14 year old self, Mm -hmm. what chapter Mm -hmm. titles would it say? What content would we read? And if you're thinking of addressing you that, Mm -hmm. you know, those decades ago, what would those parables be? Mm -hmm. Uh, all of them? <laughs> <laughs> the same, the exact same. <laughs> I mean, you know what? So, I think I, I, well, of the ones that are written, because uh, mm. people often ask me, you know, which which one can you mm. relate to the most? And I'm like, all of them. Um, right. I may not have had, uh, <laughs> like, for example, the girl, chapter two, her, you know, self-hatred, you know, turned into cutting yeah. and eating disorder. Yes, Mine yes. may not have morphed into that, but it manifested itself in different mm. ways. Right. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's an aspect of, of all of these that uh, sort of intersected with the things that I was dealing with as a young person. Mm. That was kind of the point. Like every time I would counsel a girl, I would, sometimes I would forget it was like, and think it was the another girl. Cause it was like, they're going through very similar things and there's so much overlap, even if it's not the same exact story. And, um, and, and it's the same way with me. There's a lot of overlap with the things that these girls, uh, experience or experience, they're still experiencing them. Um, and the things that I, you know, went through personally, you know, um, so I can't really boil it down to, I, I think all of them would be letters to myself, uh, to an extent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or there, there's something in it that, uh, that I, I, I could have gotten. And I think it may be in, in some ways, um, that it was me reconciling some of these parts, um, mm-hmm. but in a way and just writing it down in a manifesto, so to speak. Um, so it was about the girls, but it was still very much about myself. It was autobiographical without me putting my name in any of the 
girls' stories. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering when I um when I was reading it, I was like, I wonder what the parable of the brown woman or black mm-hmm. woman would be, right? And so mm-hmm. I was wondering, do you do you see the because you know there you know there's a difference obviously between moving the world as a, a black girl right mm-hmm. and a black woman mm-hmm. and I'm curious to hear from you if um, any of these chapter titles would change if you would be, have any additions um, if you were addressing your peers let's say you know or twenties let's say twenty something and up right or college yeah. age, I guess but let's let's say twenty something and up yeah. if you were talking to them what would some of those chapter titles be. Uh, the same. <laughs> I'm going back. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it would, that maybe it would be parable of the black woman having to unlearn, uh, unlearn period, dot, 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 mm. you know, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Um, I think as the older we get, the more it becomes about us having to unlearn these things and then relearn, you know, or get, get, yeah, be, unlearn and then, and then relearn. I'm going to use the last chapter as an example, the white acting brown girl and ah, yeah. uh, and the code switching that I talk about that um, is still something that to this day when we're in certain environments that we, you know, think about maybe in the back of my head, I might not be as affected as I was when I was younger, um, but it still is in the back of my head when I'm the only black a woman of color period in a senior administration meeting here mm. at the school. Um, and, you know, I, I think that these, these, these things that I wrote about in the book continue to affect black women. Um, but we, we move forward or move in the world very differently now, you know, uh, the, the older yeah. that we get. Um, so these, these things become like matured. Um, and so what's it like to have a conversation with y'all or my, with my peers about Mm -hmm. code switching? Um, it's the same topic, but different now that I'm in my late thirties. Right. Um, what does it mean for us to code switch and how do we constantly maybe have to think about that in the back of our head when we find ourselves in different environments, how do we resist those things? Um, and, and still remain authentically true to who we are. So it's the same conversation, but just matured. You know what I mean? Um, maybe the the parable of the the black the black woman embracing who she is. You know, um, I, I see it being very similar to the end of Color Purple, the scene <laughs> when um, you know Celie and Miss Suge and all of them they're they're standing in the um, in the yard in front of the house when, yeah. uh, Seeley's sister is driving up, but it's a, it's a great scene because the yes. women have evolved. They've come so far yes. in the movie, yes. you know, as characters and they're standing there and the wind is blowing and they're, you know, their, their, uh, shoulders are held high and they're older and they're mature and they're still dealing with things. The, the unfortunate, misconceptions about themselves with society yet they have they, they, they yet they're still here you know mm. which is what she says um so you know That's it cool. would it would be that that it would be a similar book but like a part two you know it wouldn't be different different chapter titles per se just matured that's good that's yeah. good I, I, oh yeah go ahead michelle <laughs> well i was reading this um Really amazing interview with um, Mama Toni Morrison mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about God Help the Child, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's really a story about parenthood and the, the results of all of the different adult interactions that babies have and how those interactions never leave them when they're adults. And mm-hmm. Toni Morrison had, a, had originally titled a book, The Wrath of Children. And her interest in that mm. was that um, we're all babies our whole life. We're all little girls our mm. whole life. We're all little boys, little um, little humans our whole life. And she, in the midst of this interview, juxtaposed this idea of talking to children as a way of educating grownups um, as biblical, mm. as a call of the gospel. Mm. And uh, that really sticks with me. And so even just mm. to hear... You know the this um, our Black Girl Magic author be like you know yeah let's let's have these grown women read the same Come message on. you know <laughs> because Come we on. won't inherit the kingdom we're, we're not going to get to the kingdom 
mm-hmm. unless we realize our our true spiritual status in the presence yeah. of the one who created us, the one who redeemed us. Yeah. Um, so that I think it speaks a lot socially, socially yeah. as well. And so many of us need our, our inner child mm-hmm. needs healing so much. Yeah, so many of us. Right. Yeah. That's what my mom, my, my mom read the book. Um, mm. Like the first manuscript, you know, she tended yeah, with yeah. all the mistakes. Your mom's like, I'm going to read the whole thing, you know? Um, <laughs> so my mom was the first one to read the book. Um, and, uh, she said that to me, you know, mm. she's like, I'm a woman in, in my, in my mid to late sixties. And I, I feel like a part of me had to heal as a, like my childhood self had to heal in, in reading some of these things again, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and that was really powerful to me because I'm like, that's it. You know, I, I, I want adults to be able to read this and, and see themselves or get something out of what the girls are speaking to us. Yes as their audience. Yes. Um, and the fact that we can see God, there's just so many times where I've been going through something, you know, and one of these black girls will come by. Cause again, I live here. So they'll come by the apartment mm-hmm. or whatever and be talking to me. And there's just something in me that's healed as a result of their spirit. You oh know, um, oh I might even be telling them what I'm going through, but they just come in talking and they come with their black girl joy, you know, girl, like, and I'm just like something in me shifts and i'm like yeah. that means that there's something in you that i need um so mm-hmm. yeah i mean and it's it's infectious right that joy is in, infectious you know and it catches on i just yes we got to bottle up sometimes right yeah. <laughs> yeah. we really do um i'm curious just about like talking about our healing and and um just the joy right that black girls exude and you talk about just the beauty of hearing black girls be themselves <laughs> being their loud selves mm-hmm. and that not needing to be silenced or policed or managed mm-hmm. um i'm curious about the becoming conference mm-hmm. i wonder if that's a space where these um, young girls can be free to be as loud as they want to, to be a, as full of joy as they want to, to be angry if they want yeah. to. Can you talk to our listeners about um, the Becoming Conference and yeah. how they can maybe join even with um, to support that that conference that you put on? Yeah, that's exactly everything you just described is is literally the Becoming Conference. I started it um, in 2017, and um, it really was it really was supposed to just be a one day workshop for girls. Um, and then it turned into a conference. And because I kept thinking to myself, how many times have I've seen conferences for women particularly, but uh, for, for girls and women where the speak, we're, we're one of the speakers, you know what I mean? Um, there might be like one of our faces is, is, um, is on it amongst other people, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, 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 you know, to get us to come. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, there's diversity, you know? Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, what would it be like for there to be something that centers? And it's black and brown girls specifically that I do okay. say that. Um, and uh, what would it be like if they are at the center and then everybody else is just invited in, just like the way that we reversed, like the way we are uh, oftentimes. And um, so it really, you know, it started off as it was at Rutgers and, had different speakers, but I, I mainly, it's very similar to your motto for us, by us, you know, it's for us, by us, about us. So I work with uh, about 10 girls from, and this is in Jersey. So 10 girls from the central Jersey area. And they're, they're like the leaders and they help me plan the conference and I have them lead the conference. Um, I don't even like to speak at the conference. You know, I usually try to have, I had, a. The Flexin' in My Complexion Girl, 2018, Karis mm-hmm. Rogers. I like oh, them to be young, God. young girls of color uh, mm-hmm. coming out and speaking to their peers. And uh, so I try not to have any of like, it, it, you know, if, if we're speaking, that's fine. But I want them to see themselves and uh, in age and in, in ethnicity. And um, so that, you know, it started that that one year in 2017. Then we had it again in 2018. And um, and you know, then the second year I programmed less, like they didn't need so many speakers. They just want a space where they can go hang out and dance and laugh and play YouTube videos. And that's what we did. You know, we had some speakers, some poets, some dancing, like some, uh, people coming to perform, but I took away the constant, you know, 
speaker rotation so that they're not on information overload. Number one, they're generating B. They can't really sit through all that anyway. Um, But then at the same time, it was like, they just want a space where they can be. They don't mind somebody coming to speak into their life, you know, here and there. But they love the the little breakout sessions where my girls, they're in high school, they, you know, I separate them into different grades and they have different conversations with each other and ask each other questions about whatever it might be. Um, and they, they just, they just want to be and where they're not judged, you know, like you said, they could be loud if they want. I remember mm-hmm. there was one point where they just, after Kara spoke, um, she had them all modeling, you know, going up and, um, <laughs> you know, here's how you walk, you know, so that she turned on the music. And then after they took pictures with her and they just broke out and was dancing and just having a good old time, you know? And I was like, this is just what they want. They, they, they need a respite from society, picking out their hair and their skin and, you know, all of that. They just need a, a, a space yeah. to just be. And mm. that's what the Becoming Conference was designed as. I took a break last year after Andre died and I was writing the book on uh, my friend that passed away. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so because that was just it was too, too much. And um, so this year we're coming back and instead of a conference, we're having a retreat because the girls that I work with, um, once a year, I'll have them like sleepover, uh, come, we'll have a sleepover at my parents' house in Jersey and, um, <laughs> not in my house, my parents' house. And, uh, and they love that. Right. Like I'm usually like, look, I'm going to turn on the alarm. Don't set on anything on fire. I'm going to bed. Like I don't stay up, you know? So, mm. um, but by midnight, they just, they stayed up They're watching movies. They just like had such a good time. They're talking to each other, you know, about, serious issues or whatever it might be. But um, so the girls were saying, we just want to sleep over. We just want to sleep over. And I said, you know, you just probably need a retreat. Like how many of y'all have even ever been on a retreat? Number one, it's mostly for women or me. It used to be back in the day where churches would do youth retreats a lot when people went to church like that. Um, And so, you know, a lot of them have never been on a a retreat. So we're going to do a three day retreat in uh, July um, again, not over program and watch movie, have pizza. We'll have some serious sessions. The girls want it to be about sisterhood. So that's their theme. And, um, you know, just have some time away where it's not rushed like we do for the one day conference where it could be, it's three days and two nights. We'll have bonfires and try to have, you know, have little healing sessions. I'll probably have something where they throw, you know, in the fire, whatever they're dealing with. You know how you right, do, you right. plan that yes. type of stuff, you know, yes. have some little kumbaya crying sessions or whatever it might be. Yes. But yes, I'm, ex- yes. I'm excited. Well, uh, I can only take 50 girls, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So if anybody wants to be involved, I mean, uh, high school girls, anyone can come. I, I I can't wait till one day I have enough money to be able to do Becoming Conference other places. Um, but right now it is in New Jersey. And um, but but any anyone that is in high school can can register no matter where you're from. And it's not it's it's a it's a it's a space that centers these brown and black identities. But anyone right. can come. And that's how the Becoming Conference okay. has been. There have been white girls at the conference or whatever, uh, you know, and um, so it's not exclusive to. It's just mm. centered, right, around their yeah. issues and their experiences oh, yeah. in the same way that we have to, you know, d- go to those conferences and retreats that don't center ours. Yeah. Um, so anyone can come and uh, have adults that, that help out and volunteer. A lot of the parents help out and volunteer. So um, that's going to be July 13th through 15th this year. Awesome. Wow, that is so great. I love the fact that the way that it centered and the way that it was focused was um, sort of out of not just reacting to a need or a lack, but mm. knowing the strength of the provision that it would provide. You know, it's not like, oh, we don't have enough of this, but oh, we need more of this. Right. Yeah, right. I have a deep Came appreciation abundance. for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I'm glad you said that because that's how I feel about the book. Like, I tell everybody all the time, okay. terrible brown girl is not yeah. anything new under the sun. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Not like a work that is so like, wow, where did you come from? I mean, I'm grateful for mm-hmm. it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's been written already. <laughs> you know, wow. this is written in a different way. But mm-hmm. womanism has been, um, there, there's so many womanist texts out there. Um, yeah. I, I always, whenever I do a book talk, I always talk about Melissa Harris Perry's Sister Citizen and how I used um, yeah. a lot of quotes oh, from yeah. that. 
and mm-hmm. uh, Monique, Monique Morris's work, who's continuing to do work centering black girls and talking about the criminalization of black black girls. Yes. Uh, and Shout some of these other, out. yeah, and some of these other studies. Georgetown Law did the study on the adultification of Black girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another center for, I think, social justice policy or something that did a, a study on um, Black Black girls matter over 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 policed, underprotected. Um, mm-hmm. I I used a lot of those studies um, in in some of my research. So. It's not, it didn't begin with Parable of the Brown Girl, and it's not going to end with Parable of the Brown Girl. Mm, mm. So right. I, I always That's make right. that clear um, that I'm not trying to set myself apart as, you know, as having written something, um, you know, out of, you know, make making water out of a rock. That's that's just not right. the case, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like joining with the community. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, and speaking. Speaking of joining with the community, we are <laughs> we are always halfway smirking, halfway cackling when we ask our guests to answer a series of questions. <laughs> it's fun time, force fun, force fun. We really That's need right. a segment. We need to come up with a segment theme song for this. Because <laughs> it's yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Our whole, it's sort of like in the vein of um, just probably more in living color than any other (laughs) thing we could conjure right now. So we're going to ask you sort of a string of questions. I always do my least favorite one first because this is wrong that I'm asking you this. I want you to know this. this. Oh, gosh. Is this one got to go? It's one one got to go. go. Oh, no. And it is the Black Diva version Okay. And Kimini and Christina came up with this. Michelle did not have any <laughs> Okay. So one got to go, and you okay. have to tell us why briefly. Okay. Whitney. So Whitney, Lord. Shaka, Anita, Aretha. One got to go. Okay. So Whitney's not going. Um, Anita's not going. The only reason why I'm getting rid of Shaka. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, I, 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 I feel like I know oh, why. <laughs> okay. It's because oh, of no. Aretha's roots in the church. Oh, okay. okay. That's, oh, that's okay. the reason okay. why. I know okay. nothing, nothing bad. Okay. And also right. because Whitney could redo Shaka. <laughs> song's easy, though. No. Um, Snap. <laughs> that's a hard one, but Shaka would be the one for me. Oh. All right. But All you know, right. Shaka, you know, she double dip saved, though. You know, she'd be throwing. <laughs> Doing through the fire like for Jesus now. I just wanted to put that out there. I, yeah, that. I saw her in concert yeah. with Frankie Beverly and Mays, okay. and I was like, come on, you better testify about Jesus. And it was, was it through the fire though? It was through the fire. Oh Lord. Yeah, Power. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Like, it's true, right? It's true, Michelle. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Side note, are y'all going to Essence Fest? Ooh, um, July. That would be dope. I love to. My bank account says no. Oh, y'all need to go and do a true table at Essence Fest. I'll be there. But anyway, go ahead. I would love we wow. Essence Fest. Holla at us. Because on Sunday, that's when they do that gospel day. Like, we could totally mm-hmm. do a true table yeah, live we there. Need to start, we need to start campaigning for that. Like, lobby to get true table at Essence yes, Fest. Please. <laughs> anyway, all about campaigns. Um. <laughs> Okay, okay so Shaka got to go. Not for the reason that any of us thought it was going to be. Well, I thought we was, it was going to get awkward. <laughs> what was the reason? Why am I waiting? Girl. It was going to be because of her rendition of um, yes, what was the it? national the, 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 oh, the national I missed it. I saw that on Twitter. I missed it. I mean, yeah. I didn't think no, people were jumping. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll argue. I'll debate about it all day. So <laughs> number one. Um, it wasn't that bad. People are too much. <laughs> so, okay. If you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Well, I'll tell you what it wouldn't be. I wouldn't live forever. Amen. Like, who take me home. Uh, you know? Who wants to live in this world? I mean, I'm <laughs> grateful for life, but that's too much suffering. Oh, me. And, and, uh, <laughs> Come uh, on. That's the word. That's the word. See, would I, I probably would be able to, like, travel easy. Like, I would, like, 
Yeah. Like, I don't want to say fly because I don't even mm. want to do that. I just want to like transport. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if I'm able to like get away now and just be like, boom, I'm in Jamaica. Like, I just need to be there for oh. the rest of the day and just be on a beach. I want to okay. do stuff like that. I, like I that. love it. That's so <laughs> futurist. It's great. It That's is. Great. <laughs> and it's really functional. <laughs> I don't want to tell the I don't want to tell the future because I don't want to know. You know, sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about the world today? Mm. Oh man. Yeah, this is a new question, y'all. Yeah, yes. by the way, as a few things, I have to pick one. Oh God, there's so many things, right? But there's. I feel like if you got the wand, you it's yours, right? You don't. You could change multiple things, right? I don't know. We have to. to I definitely would change the leadership in this country. Come on, somebody. Uh, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. Um. Poverty, definitely. Yeah. I would definitely do something about poverty and homelessness and hungry kids going to school. Just that, that whole so spectrum, weird. I think it falls under that whole umbrella of poverty. I would definitely, right. that would be something. I, it'd be interesting to see what type of society we would be. Come mm-hmm. on. Without, I, have no, I, I can't even imagine it. Like that's yeah. how, that, mm. I mean, Jesus said the poor will always be among you. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, mm. what what would that look like if people yeah. were on an equal socioeconomic playing field? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're able to thrive and not simply survive. Yeah, those are there's a lot those, of levels, you know. Yeah, yeah. Those so are some good good choices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Christy, really, really good choices. And um, one more question: What is bumping in your car right now? If we go yes. in your car, what are we going to hear? What are we going to hear? Uh, this week, you're going to hear uh, the piano album by PJ Morton. Oh, um, yes. I've been meaning to um, get up on that. Yeah, it just, it, you know, it just came out, like, was it a few weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Yeah, Did it just yeah. come out? Yeah. So that that's Yeah, the, it's brand new. And on rotation, he has a, um, because he'll do, like, the same songs over and over again. And you'll be like. Oh, this is dope again. Um, so <laughs> he, <laughs> you're like, that's just the same song. Then you just listen to him again. Um, but he's got the version of How Deep Is Your Love that he originally did with, um, was it Yeba? Um, yes. But he's got this new version, How Deep Is Your Love, with Alex Isley. It's beautiful. And I didn't hear that song. That is beautiful. And then his, um, because I didn't know he wrote Let Go. Uh, by Dwayne mm-hmm. Woods, the Let Go, Let Go mm-hmm. song. So he, mm-hmm. right before that song, yeah. is Let Go with the Walls group. And I just oh, listened to the cool. two songs over and over again. PJ ain't playing with us. Mm-hmm. He really mm-hmm. didn't know. Mm-hmm. Oof. So it. much brilliance. So mm-hmm. much. Well, Christy, thank you so much. Thank um, you. Fun. At the table with us. This is your time. Please talk to our sisters at the table. Tell them how they can follow you, support your work. Um, whatever you want to share with them, please feel free to do so. All right. Uh, so Parable of the Brown Girl is out now. And you can, it's actually at Barnes & Noble. So if you can oh, really? um, go find it at your local Barnes & Noble. Um, or you can you can order it uh, online, of course, on Amazon, on uh, barnesandnoble.com, indie book. It's on, um, what else? You can find me on Instagram, at Christy Adams, um, and on Twitter, at Christy Lauren. So um, those are two. If you find at Christy Lauren on Instagram, it's my private account. <laughs> and that's just for, like, my family and friends where I just, like, post my students and, and oh. random stuff. So, um, so on Instagram is at Christy Adams and then on Twitter it's at Christy Lauren. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting at the table with us, yes. Christy. Truly. Thank we were just so you. blessed by your presence. Truly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so hey, much. And y'all buy her book, Parable of it. the Brown Girl, the Sacred Lives of Girls of Color. 
support black women, pay black women. Okay. Like seriously, I'm, I'm just, you have so much wisdom and just knowledge and I'm just so grateful that you are at the table with us. Yeah. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Truly appreciate it. And of course, we want to thank you all for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Black Girl Magic, Christy Lauren Adams, using the hashtag TruceTable. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TruceTable or email us your thoughts at asktruceTable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. TruceTable has a Patreon account, y'all, so you can send your love off to www.patreon.com slash truestable or you can bless us at our PayPal uh, which is www.paypal.me slash truestable truestable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is Joshua Heath our executive producer is Bo York and we have been your hosts Akemini, Michelle, and Christina we'll see you soon on the next Truce Table bye y'all